those of you that don't know, my name is Sal Martinez. I'm the pastor of this church. <laughs> Good to meet you, too. Good morning. How are you folks? Yeah. Is it winter? Is it summer yet? Is it? Okay. How was that? That's what I heard. That's what the calendar says. <laughs> well, I, I'm sure it'll hit us like a, like a ton of bricks here pretty soon. And uh, we're going to be... We're going to be crying for winter to come real quick. But you know what? It's not going to be that. At least I hope it's not that long this year. Anyways, here we go. Strengthening your faith. Um, I, I believe that as Paul is writing to the people in Thessalonica, his main concern is to strengthen them. Remember, Paul was pushed out. He was, um, he was basically uh, run out of the town. And uh, it caused a big ruckus, beat up uh, one of his friends named Jason. They took him behind, be, before the magistrate. And they said, hey, this guy, you know, he housed them. Paul came in here and just caused a lot of trouble, and then he left. You know, what kind of an apostle is that? What kind of a godly man is that? He'd come in here and just cause all kinds of trouble. And maybe that might have been said of you when you were causing trouble for the Lord Jesus Christ. If not, believe me, it will happen. Uh, everything that this culture has, everything that this world has, everything that is uh, leaned up against its own power and authority, his <clears throat> philosophies, every, that's why we need to take, as we said last week, every thought captive, every philosophy, every ideology, every, every thinking, every scientific t- thought that is raised up against God, we need to take it captive and make it obedient unto Christ. And the way we do that is to say, no, that's not what the Word says. That's not what the Word says. You continue to do that, yes, the same thing is going to happen to you. You will be called an enemy of the state. You will be afflicted. Uh, Maybe not as Paul was. Maybe not as we see a lot of the missionaries throughout the world as they're being tortured, beheaded, caught on fire, left in cages, drowned, alive, their children's taken from them as happens even now. Maybe not like that. But you will be persecuted in a sense where you'll be not invited to Christmas parties or birthday parties or maybe not even welcomed in certain places. Oh, here comes that hallelujah, that holy roller. And so there is an affliction that happens because of your commitment and in your faith of Jesus Christ. And you see what Paul, what happened to Paul, Paul was concerned because, as I mentioned, he was, uh, you know, forcefully escorted out of Thessalonica and he was worried about the people that he preached to and he he gave his message to, as I am at, at times as people that have come through here. And I, I am concerned, I follow up, I send them cards from time to time and tell them that I miss them and I miss you guys. If you're on, you're, you're watching us today, we miss you and I, I pray for you. And that's the way Paul was. Paul was an ideal pastor. And the church that he left behind, actually the group of people that became a church that he left behind, uh, is a model church that we can follow. And so Paul sends word. He sends somebody to go and and see what had taken place. No telling how long he was gone. No telling how, you know, people say it was a few months. Maybe so, maybe a little bit longer because of where he was at. And so he sends Timothy. He says, Timothy, go and just look in on these guys. My heart is just burning, you know, wondering, and I'm conflicted, and I'm afflicted, and I'm, I'm concerned for these people because when I left, it was just chaos. And I'm just wondering what happened. Maybe Satan got in there and twisted their mind and their logic, and they started listening to everybody else instead of the words that I gave them. And, you know, I mean... You know, I don't believe the God, that God works that way. You know, I don't believe the Lord just sends me somewhere and just leaves me alone and, and, uh, and then just 
cause to share the word and take off, but, but I, I don't know. And he was torn. And he says, I want to go. But we'll see as today he says, no, we're going to send somebody. He's going to send Timothy. So we're in chapter 3. In chapter 3, in, first, in chapters 1 and 2 of, the, of Paul's words, he reveals his concerns as a pastor. He was thankful for them. Remember in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, he appreciated their testimony on how they were able to sound out the things that, um, that, that they, they had learned. And, and he learns this later as Timothy comes back. We're going we're gonna to talk about that here in just a bit. He was encouraged by what he had heard about them. He loved them and he wanted to see them face to face, heart to heart. He wanted just to be close to them and he longed to be with them as I said and so what Paul is doing here is he's showing us his heart he's showing us his pastor's care and concern on how he had just left this this young body of believers and now he wants to know how they're doing maybe you had that kind of experience with people that you've been really close to your children your grandchildren friends neighbors that have moved on or you moved away and you wonder how are they doing and today well we used to have the the convenience of telegraph at one time and then letter writing postcards which I don't know if people still do I do uh, we have cell phones and 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 emails and, and texts and uh, we, we received a some pictures my wife did and uh, she said this is this is kind of weird and I go what is why well, I haven't talked to this I don't even know who this person is I come to find out who it was and they sent me these pictures and then uh, she says well thank you so much and I saw I says oh thank you so much it's been a joy I've been enjoying retirement and then she sends back to me the same thing I typed to her I, I text I text this message to her and she puts it in quotations and she sends it back to me with a little heart I go oh no she has an iPhone and with these iPhones, you know, I mean, instead of saying, oh, thank you so much, instead of very lazily, just press that like button, bink, and that's it. And that's how we keep in contact with people, <laughs> you know, or a thumbs up. Instead of saying, okay, we say a K, uh, and, and that's it, or cool, or whatever the case may be. But see, Paul couldn't do that. And sometimes we need to get out, outside of ourselves in this common and very natural, it seems like, technology and Pick up the phone, call, say, how you doing? Just wanted to see how you're doing. Uh, write a letter. People would be surprised when you write them a letter. A card. You'd be surprised on how much power a card has and just the things that you write down. The problem with writing a card, it doesn't autocorrect itself. So you might want to type it out first, have it so it's corrected. Then you can copy what you want to say. But Paul was so in love with these people. He was so concerned for them. He was so just anxious about them. He was anticipating some bad return. So he, here's what we're going to find out today. In verse, chapter 3, verse 1, he says this. And we're talking about Paul longing to see them. We saw that in, in, the, in, the, last, um, in the last portion, chapter 2, verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, Paul says, and I'm reading out of seven, chapter 17. Chapter 2, verse 17, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, heart to heart, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. We talked about how Satan, the enemy, he prowls around like a roaring lion, and we spent most of the time last week on just that portion of scripture. Uh, please review the, the, the video. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. 
Paul says, you know, all the labor, I mean, everything that I've poured my life into, everything that I've done up to this point was for you. And, and, and I don't want any riches. I don't want any prestige. I don't want any power. All I want is for you. You are my crown. You are my joy. You are the glory that, that Jesus Christ is going to be glorified by because of your life. And my prayer, Paul says, is that you grow in this. And then in verse 1, he says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer. See, Paul was at a point of this anxiety and this, this tension. And he was just uh, under so much pressure, wondering what happened to these guys. Months later, and he says, we were willing to be left behind at Athens. Paul says, I wanted to go, but, you know, I, I just I had to stay. And I wanted to send somebody with you. And we sent Timothy our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer afflictions just as it has come to pass. And just as you know, for this reason, when I can bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about your thought about you through your faith. Let me read that again, because this is important. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Father in heaven, thank you once again for this portion of scripture as we dive in and see Paul's heart, his desire, and the things that we can glean from these words to be able to apply to our life. Father, help us to pray like Paul. Help us to be encouraged like Paul. Help us to be empowered by, like Paul was. Help us just to, to know what it is that we ought to pray for and how to pray. So Father, we thank you, Father, for all that you do. I pray that you lead us this morning in all things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen and amen. Number one, the Lord encourages faithful leaders. The Lord encourages faithful leaders. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. Paul says, you know, I could not bear it anymore. I could not stand the fact that we were separated. I needed to hear from you. I needed to hear about you. I needed to hear what had happened. After I left, Paul says that there was this turmoil. There was this riot. I heard Jason got beat up and I don't know what else is going on. And we find all of this out in Acts chapter 17 as we had gone over that. In, Thessalon in the book of Thessalonians, Paul is just responding to what Timothy has just told him. And it, so he's telling them, he says, you know, I, I was really just afflicted. I was conflicted. I was just in turmoil about what was going on. And so we had to send Timothy. I couldn't go. I wanted to be there. As a matter of fact, I knew that the moment that I stepped in, into the city limits, turmoil would break up again. It would just start all over again. So, so to save you from all that turmoil, I sent Timothy. 
kind of like a spy, you know, just went in there, find out what's going on with these guys. Timothy was, uh, turn with me to here, a couple pages, a couple chapters up in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1. And then I'm going to have you go to uh, 2 Timothy as well. But in 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy. He's a young man. He's a young man and he has this awesome responsibility of pastoring the church of Ephesus. And as he's pastoring this church, Paul says to Timothy, he says, My true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. Paul's charge to Timothy, Timothy, you have a very, very heavy charge. You got to help people not to be listening and help others and, and deter them from teaching other doctrines, other teachings. We have gone over doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. I have been told before in the past, I don't want doctrine. You know, all that doctrine does is just muddle everything. You know, everything is muddled because you don't have doctrine. You need doctrine in order for your life. Somebody once said, all I need is Jesus. Just give me Jesus. I said, well, which Jesus do you want? Well, the Jesus of the Bible. Well, which Bible do you want? See, because if you go to the Bible of the Mormons, they're going to say that Jesus and Satan are brothers. And they are fighting against each other. Is that the Bible? No, no, not that Bible. Well, the Bible of Jehovah's Witnesses. The Bible of Jehovah's Witnesses says that they are, that Jesus was just a good teacher. He was a very moral, ethical man. Or what about the Bible of, the, of Islamic faith? In Islamic faith, he, he was a teacher like Muhammad. And, and, but, but, you know, Muhammad is the one that they, they follow. Which Bible? Well, the Holy Bible, the one that talks about God. And, okay, you see, that's why you need doctrine. How can you distinguish from one to the other? And doctrine is important. Doctrine is dominant in your life and it needs to be known. Maybe you don't want to call it doctrine. Maybe you don't want to call it systematic theology. Maybe you don't want to call it those things. You need to know your word. How's that? Amen? You need to know the word. And Paul had left them and, and he left them for, for, for a long time with just a little bit of time, a short amount of time to be able to teach them these doctrines. And so he tells Timothy, here's what I want you to do. Go to 2 Timothy very quickly, just to kind of give you a brief history of who, Paul, uh, who Timothy was. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, again, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, my true child, my, loved, my beloved child, he, he says... Though he wasn't his actual child, he spiritually raised him up. And he says in verse 3, I thank God when I, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Now, doesn't that sound familiar? He said the same thing to the people in Thessalonica. He says the same thing to the people in Ephesus. He says the same thing over and over again. I don't know how Paul had this journal or how he had this ability to remember everyone that he needed to pray for, but he prayed for them night and day and day. That's very key. We'll, we'll touch on that here in just a bit. I prayed for you night and day. Verse 4, as I remember your tears, I long to see you again. 
this is the same theme that he has throughout his whole ministry. He just didn't go in, preach and leave. He was constantly praying for them. and He wants to go back to them. And he says, I remember your tears as I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you, through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. What Paul was trying to convey to Timothy, he says, I, Paul, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just, I, I'm just like, you know, how, how, you, you know what I was like. How can you leave me here? Paul, you know, because I, I, I have faith in you. I see in you what you don't see in yourself. I know that you can do this because I've seen what you can do. But Paul, I'm just stumbling through life and, you know, I, I, I'm trying to get. And as a matter of fact, a little bit later, Paul tells Timothy, he says, I, I know you got an upset stomach. Well, as a matter of fact, right here, he says, God did not give you a spirit of fear. Stop being afraid. He's responding to Timothy. Stop fearing. Stop being anxious. You know, that's good counsel from a man that was anxious about Thessalonica. I, I've done that. Been there. Bought the T-shirt. You know, don't don't do that. Don't be anxious. Trust God. See, fan in, the, fan in the flame the power that God gave you, this fire that God gave you. Just work with it. See, because if you can do it, then God doesn't, he, you don't need God. But because you can't do it, that's when you need God. I was told recently, said, you know, I, I don't know. And, and this is kind of a, a standing joke. Because I don't know why somebody would... Uh, want me to be a member of their church. Anybody wants me to be a member of their church? I don't want to be a part of that church. Because <laughs> if they knew my past, if they knew who I was, and it was said about leadership. But you see, that's the humble attitude of a true servant. A true servant will tell you or say, I'm not qualified. Yes, I know. But I see what God can do in you. And I know what God can do in you. And therefore, if you're going uh, to charge this task that I've given you, I've got this under control. I don't want you. But Paul says, Timothy, because you're humbled, you're broken, you're willing to be taught, you're willing to be raised, you're willing to be brought up in the word. And I know that you can do this. And Paul just continues to encourage him. He sends him uh, uh, a little bit later. He tells him, look, I know you got enough. Some of you've probably developed ulcers. Probably develop ulcers. Take a little bit of wine to calm your stomach, you know, because you've got a huge task. When we went through the book of Ephesus, we talked about the, all, the, all the immoral lifestyles that were out, out there, the, the temples of these filled with prostitutes that would have sex with people that would come in just so that they, their livelihood can flourish and be multiplied, their crops would be multiplied, and all the things that these apparent temple prostitutes can give to these men they went in and they received it with having this ability to have intercourse with these prophetesses supposedly and this is the way it was it was paul says in chapter six of, of, of ephesians he says you got to put on the full armor of god all you you have to put the full armor of god and we talked about that at length last week as well not part of the armor the full armor so that you can stand up against the devil's schemes and so Timothy, he was half Jewish and half Greek. His dad was Greek. So Lois, his grandmother, and Eunice, Lois and Eunice, mom and grandma, uh, they, were, they counseled him. They nourished him. They discipled him. They gave him the word of God. And when Paul met him, he says, man, 
you, you got a lot of understanding. Well, I can see why. Your grandma and your mama has been praying for you. And beloved, do not overestimate the power of prayer. You got grandchildren, pray for them. You got, you got grandchildren, you got children, pray for them. Show them the word as often as you can. The reason you're this, this smart is because God gave you that ability. The reason you're this good looking is because God gave you that ability. The reason you're able to do things is because God gave you that ability. Well, anybody can do that. No, not everybody can. And if you want, if you'd like, you can point, point them to my, uh, how old's my militia? My 40-year-old daughter. Okay, what? <laughs> That's almost 50. Okay, never mind. You, you, can't, you, you can point them to people that you know that, look, they don't have that ability. Not everybody gets the abilities that you have. God gave them to you. Use them to bring glory to God. Amen? And Paul saw this in Timothy, and Paul says, you know what? I trust Timothy. I love Timothy. He's teachable. He's, he's humble. He knows that he can't do this, and he has to depend on God's power and strength. And so I, I, want, I want to encourage you with Timothy because he is an encouraging leader. He's a faithful leader, and he's, an, he one, he's one that's going to go out and share with you the things that I have taught him, but the things that he has learned in life as well. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind. He says, and I sent Timothy. I sent Timothy, he says. We were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. Now, how do you, how do you like that? You are a co-worker with God. God, the creator of the universe. God, the, the one, the sustainer of the universe. God, the one that sees the beginning to the end. You have been put right alongside God to be his co-worker. Have you ever worked right next to your boss? You... <laughs> yes, and it's scary, right? It's scary sometimes. Yeah, well, you know, when you don't work with him all the time and, and you, are, you are having to come up alongside, he comes out and he says, you know, and all of a sudden he's, he's moving. He says, you got to move just like him a little bit faster. So, so he doesn't want to be showed up, so he moves faster and you move faster. And, you know, you're, you're trying to make sure that he agrees and at least appreciates your work. Now, I'm not trying to scare you, but you're working right alongside God, beloved. You are co-workers, co-laborers with God, Paul says. I'm sending him because he is a, he's not only a brother, but he's God's co-worker. Yeah, God's the boss, but he's working right alongside God. Because see, God is always at work. Amen? God is always at work. Our idea of work, working for God is, hey, God, come bless me. And bless me what I'm doing. I'm trying to get this done over here, God. I'm trying to work for you. And God's up there looking and saying, you know, but I'm working over here. This is what I'm doing. And what God wants you to do, he wants you to join him in what he's doing. You see, when, whenever you hear somebody come up to you and say, you know, hey, you go to church, right? That is a spiritual question. You know, you, you, you're a praying person, aren't you? That is a spiritual question. You know, you've had some difficulties in your life. And, and how did you get through it? Because I know you go to church. Those are spiritual questions. God is working in that person. And sometimes we're over here working with other people. They just don't want anything to do with it. God, help me work with this person. God's saying, I'm over here. Now, if you want to continue on your own, great. But until you recognize where God is working, you're not going to be able to be a co-laborer with God. And everybody wants God to work with them. 
God, work with me because I'm doing this. God, work with us because we're building a church. We're doing a Bible study. We're sleep, Whatever the case may be. You'll see him when you pray and you ask God. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. When you pray and you ask God, God, where are you working? What can I do? And the moment you open yourself up to that, guess what? People are going to start coming to you. And you'll look back on the day at the end of the night when you're praying for them, you're going to realize, oh, wow. I asked God to send me to people that need to hear the gospel message. And he brought them. And I had the opportunity to do so. You know why? Because you are God's co-workers. And he sent Timothy to exhort them, to establish them. And here's the whole thing, that, that we are built on solid ground. We are built on this solid rock, as we sang earlier, on Christ alone. Now, now that's just not a song. That's just not two words that we put together. Christ alone. That is what we live. That is what we preach. That is what we believe. Christ alone. Not this church, North Park Baptist Church. Not this denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention. Not Pastor Cell. Please stop saying Pastor Cell said. Pastor Cell did. Stop saying that. Say the word of God that I stand on. It says and it says and it says. And you share the word of God. Amen. You see, because when you start lifting up men or denominations or churches, people right away start thinking, you know what? That church or that denomination, I've heard stuff about that denomination. Well, I've heard stuff about that church. Well, I've heard stuff about that pastor. You know, why do you lift him up when you use the word of God? You know, they'll say stuff about that as well. But you... You, you are established. You, you know, you're strengthened. The word established here in Greek is the one that the word kind of like what they would use for a buttress. I don't know if you know what a buttress is, but as, as the walls are falling down, they put these two by fours or four by fours and they, they just brace the wall up so it doesn't come over and fall down and it just holds it up. It strengthens the wall so it doesn't tumble on you. And that's what Paul is saying here. He wants to establish you and he wants to exhort you. The word exhort is kind of hard to understand. A lot of people take exhort Exhorting somebody is like by yelling at them or telling them that they're wrong. Kind of what you're doing, but exhort really, if you were to translate that into modern English, it's more like encouraging. You want to encourage someone to do better. To exhort somebody, sometimes it sounds like you're exhorting them for what they've done wrong. And so exhorting and encouraging go hand in hand. It's basically you're encouraging somebody to continue to go on. Paul says, you know, I heard about you guys. Uh, I, I mean, I wanted to hear about you guys. And that's and when Timothy came back and he told me what was going on. So I want him to exhort you. I want him to encourage you. I, wanna, I want him to help you hold yourself up because, as we'll see, a lot of stuff was happening. Strong way of holding people up. He says, I, there's nothing else that I can do except for to give you my fellow co-worker, God's co-worker, my brother, and also God's fellow co-worker to send to you. Verses, again, 2 and 4, it says, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. When Timothy got back, gave Paul, yeah, they're still going through it. They are, yeah. Well, you know, we, we stirred up the nest. That beehive is still going. That nest of wasps is stinging and you know, causing all kinds of turmoil. They're going through all kinds of affliction. And so Paul says, yeah, that's why I wanted to send you, to exhort them in their faith that they not be moved by these afflictions. And he goes on to say, for you yourselves know. Remember? You yourselves know. You remember what happened to me? And not only me, but you yourselves know that we are destined for this. 
Jesus Christ himself said, blessed are those that are persecuted. Remember? Jesus himself said, you know, in this world, you will experience tribulation. He promised it. You will. He didn't, you know, no, there's this prayer that we pray, God, take me away from all tribulation, take away all my pain, take away all my, all my sickness, take away everything I have, you know, and give me, give me, give me. Take away all that stuff, give me all the good stuff. That's the prayer that most people pray. Jesus, you said, if I pray in your name, you'll take away and give, take away and give. That's what I want. Take away all the bad stuff, my pain, my back, my, my health. Take away all the bad health and give me good health. Give me riches. Give me, you know, and, and they said, if I name it, I can claim it. And I'm naming it, God, and this is what I want. So you better get to it because I ain't got much time left. Hurry up. And it's kind of an attitude that we come up to God with. How dare you? Not you. I know you don't do it. But how dare anyone? Talk to God in such a manner that, you know, he has to answer my prayer request. Because I read the book called The Prayer of Jabez. Everywhere I put my foot, he's going to give to me. Everything I ask for, he's going to bless me with it. But he didn't give it to you. And you know why he didn't give it to you? Some people would say it was because you didn't pray hard enough. You didn't pray long enough. You didn't pray earnestly enough. Paul says, you're going to go through these afflictions. It's, it's just going to happen. If you stand for Jesus, that's exactly what's going to happen. For when, you, when, for when we were with you, he says, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. I, I share this often. People call me a pessimist. They say I, I, I preach critically. Some people say that I'm always on the negative, very negative. I'm just warning you, beloved. I'm warning you. I'm sounding the alarm. It's going to happen. This whole idea of become a Christian and everything just gets better. How many of you guys can say amen to that? Not many, huh? Because as a matter of fact, some of the times what happens is it seems to get worse. Things just seem to happen. But you will experience affliction. And he wants them to be established. He wants to be uh, exhorted, encouraged. He wants them to, to understand that there's going to be some ugly stuff happening to him. As a matter of fact, Paul tells the people in Ephesus, where Timothy was at, he says when they had preached, when, uh, as a matter of fact, in Acts 14, it says, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had, been made, and had many disciples that returned to Lystia, and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, constantly going back and going back and going back to strengthen and to build up. In Galatians 4.19, he says, My little children, from whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Paul equates his prayer, his anguish, his, his desire to have these people formed in the likeness of Jesus Christ he equates it to being in labor. I've seen the pain and the, the push and all the, the, the distress that a woman goes through. She gives labor. I, I feel that same way for you, people in Galatia. I feel like this. And I, wa I want you to know that I'm going to continue to be in that labor. I'm going to continue to be in that anguish and pain until Christ is formed in you. I thank God that for the most part, when you are living life and you share life with me, your life and the things that are going on, and I'm able to pray with you, I thank God that I have the opportunity to do so. And I share with you, look, you're going to go through this stuff. It's just going to happen. 
And there's nothing you can do about that, really. I mean, it's out of your hands. It's out of your control. But what I'm really more concerned about is how you come out of it on the other end. And how you come out of it. What happens at the other end? That's what I'm, I'm praying that you are strengthened. And I'm encouraging you, exhorting you to stand firm. To stand firm in that. Because these afflictions are going to take place. Paul says, I kept telling you beforehand that you were going to, these things were going to happen. Timothy came back and he told me these things. For this reason, he says, I, I could bear it no longer. I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and your labor, our labor, would be in vain. Verse 5. He says, I, I wanted to know firsthand. I wanted to know because, you know, the enemy, as we talked about last week, he's out there tempting. He's out there trying. We said last week, we, we give too much credence, we give too much power, we give too much authority to Satan. He only has the power and authority that you allow him to have. He's just this little yapping chihuahua, remember? Like these little chihuahuas that come chasing after you. If you run, he's going to run faster. And he won't, he won't affect anybody else around you. You know why? Because nobody else around him is scared. They only go after those that are afraid. They sense the fear in you. Satan senses the fear in you, and he will allow these things to happen. Now, I shared this with you last week, and I'm just going to share it again. I was up middle of the night, 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning, reading. And I was up for about an hour already, you know, a little bit longer maybe. And all of a sudden, a picture fell off my bookshelf. Just, psh. I looked at the picture. You know, any hyper-spiritual, demon-thinking person would have said, this house is haunted. They would have just walked away. And, and I was, as I was kind of sharing this, right as, well, actually, right when we were singing this last Sunday, the clock falls off the wall. Remember that? Our back clock, it just fell off the wall. Psh, breaks all over the place. Somebody would have said, that same demon followed you to the church. You got to exercise that demon out of pastor's cell because, or whatever the case may be. No. See, demonic warfare is in the mind. Demonic warfare is all around us. All the stuff, all the things that were going on around us. It's the battle for the mind. Demons don't have that kind of power. They don't have that kind of authority except for the authority that you give them. And Paul is saying, you know, you're having all, this, all these trials and afflictions going on around you. And Satan is tempting you to give up, to go away, to stop learning, stop praying, stop preaching, stop evangelizing. He's telling you it's not worth it. You've lost your friends. You've lost your family. You've lost all your loved ones. You've lost your job. You've lost your, your income. And so Satan is causing all this stuff around you to happen. And now he wants you to give up. Don't. He says, don't. I shared last week about this young lady that is out of Harupa Valley High School uh, out by Riverside that um, she stood her ground on this transgender issue. And she, Jessica Tapia, she, she stood her ground. She says, I, I can't do that. Well, just don't tell the parents that they're transgender. I says, well, what if they ask me? Well, you got to just tell them that they're not. You want me to lie? Well, that's not technically a lie. Yes, it is. If they ask me something and I don't tell them the truth, it's the lie. I can't do that. She goes, well, just do like other Christians. Do you mean there's other Christians that are going around here lying to the parents? Well, they're not lying. It's just so you can keep your job. You know what? I, I need my job. I love my job. I've been doing this for six years. I'm highly qualified. I, I'm a good sports teacher. I can do this. You know, I have a good relationship with the kids. But you know what? My faith is more important than that. And by the way, she says, if a 
biological male tries to enter into my gym where the girls are dressing, I'm going to stop him, just so you know. Okay, well, then you're fired. And they fired her. There's a big thing going on in the news right now of her case that she's suing. I don't know if it's going to get anywhere, to be honest with you. She's already an enemy of the state. If this is the laws, these are the laws we've passed, and you've got to abide by these laws. This is the law that I live by. I've got to live by this law. Amen? He says, I I just feared that the tempter would have tempted you and that all these things would have been for nothing. Number two, the Lord's power. The Lord empowers faithful follow-up. The Lord empowers faithful follow-up. Paul says in verses 6 to 8, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and report that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you. Through your faith. For now, we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. If you're standing fast fast in the Lord, you know what? That's all I need. I'm good. I can live with that. I I can live with that. You're standing fast in the Lord. You're not letting the tempter take you. Paul was distressed. Once again, he was rushed out of the city. Wondering what happened to these people. Sends Timothy. Timothy comes, you know, goes and gives them a report. You know, we, Paul wants you to know that he loves you. He wants to see you. He wants to know how you guys are doing. Oh, give him this report. We're doing good. We're doing, you know, these things are happening in our, in our midst. And, you know, we're trying to stand firm. And you just tell him that we want to see him as well. Timothy comes back to Paul and gives him a report. And says, oh, my God, this is so great. This is awesome to hear. And what Paul does, he just doesn't listen to what he, the news. He follows up. <clears throat> he follows up. And, and what he does is he follows up with encouraging words. He's encouraged. He's empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's empowered by God himself to not only just, you know, send a okay or a thumbs up or a like button. No. He takes his time. He takes time out of his busy schedule. Remember back then to write a book, a letter like this, it was time consuming. You had to get a scroll, papyrus. You had to get something from a, from a dealer that made these papyruses. You had to get the ink. You had to get the time. You had to get the lighting right. Everything had to be right. And you had to just write and write and write. And, and it would scroll back. Actually, it would scroll over what was just written. And he would write some more. And it would scroll over. And the, the pages were probably, I mean, the lines were probably about this long. The letters that he would write. So he would start on this section, write, and go to the next section, write. And so as, as he went through each section, the scroll would scroll over itself. He'd have to go back, and if he made mistakes, I'd throw it away, go get me another one. And it wasn't like today. We just text the message, and boom, okay. Paul took his time. He was committed in following up. One of the things that I found in our recent surveys and studies that we've done about our church. We've been, we've been doing a lot of things here at church. Somebody said a little while ago, man, we're busy, right? We're busy. We're busy eating most of the time. Kids Day is meant to be an evangelistic event. We're trying to reach the community. We're trying to reach people. I, I, you know, I, I know, I, I'm confident that we are going to have our children present, and maybe some, you know, one or two. 
But you know children. You have grandchildren or friends of their grandchildren. You know people. And this event is just going to be another, another event, another time to eat. It's just that's all, that's all it's going to be unless we do some evangelizing. Now, we've passed out a lot of flyers to the kids on the last week of school. We passed them all out. Hey, we're having a family day. We're going to put out some banners. We're going to put it on social media. Uh, we're inviting people. We've sent out cards. I don't know if we sent those out already or not. Okay, you might, have, you might have gotten a card already. We want you to take a card from the bulletin today and pass it on to your loved ones. Because all of you know children. And we want them to be safe. We've, we've got a staff that is trained ministry safe. They've gone through classes to recognize uh, and how to, how to safely minister to children. We even have somebody certified as, in CPR. We're taking every precaution that we can. We wanted to make sure that the insurance company was okay with our bounce house, which they were. We, we want to make sure that everybody is, is tagged. Those that are uh, the volunteers will have a badge that states their qualifications, how long they've been in ministry. Uh, we, we, we want this to be a successful event. Now, the problem is, and here's one of the biggest problems that we have as a church, is the follow-up. We don't do effective follow-up. We can, we can bring a lot of people to church, but it's the follow-up. And so we're, kinda, we're gonna evaluate that this, then we're gonna talk about that today after. Did you guys announce the, uh, the meeting? No? Our meeting that we're gonna have today after church for Kids Day? Yeah, okay, well anyways, I think there was a meeting. Uh, I mean, it should have been announced. But anyways, right after church service today, we're gonna have a, a meeting on the Kids Day, how to volunteer, what, what, basically what I'm sharing with you right now. But the most important thing is follow-up. See, Paul took the time to follow-up. You have taken the time in some certain circumstances to follow-up on people. You have done that. I've seen you do it. I've heard of you doing it, of following up, following up. Paul says, now that Timothy has come back, now I want you to write, write, write you a letter. I, I heard the good news, the evangelistic good news. I, I heard, it, and, and the good news is not necessarily evangelistic that he's heard, hearing back for himself, but the good news is that these brothers in Thessalonica are growing. They're flourishing. They're developing. They're becoming more and more like Christ. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for, they, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before God? He says, what can we do? How can I do this? The devoted pastor, as, as he is, he's saying, what can I do? For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? How, how can that, what, what else can we say? But we're thankful to God that you are still growing and developing. That's why number three, the Lord establishes powerful prayer. As we pray, let me go back and, and read that again. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see your face, see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul was just praying for these people. He says, I, I pray for you day and night, day and night. And I'm constantly praying for you. I'm constantly thinking about you. And this is one of the areas that we, we tend to to, to grow on. We pray for each other. We pray for you. We pray at the beginning of the services. We pray during the services. We pray at the, in the middle of the week. We ask for prayer requests. What do we need to pray for? Who do we need to pray for? Many of your names come up. Many of the prayer requests that you have already stated have come up and we pray for those requests. Now are we doing it 
constantly, every day. I, I believe that we're doing it as often as we can. But we can always improve. Amen? We need to pray. Paul was praying constantly, fervently, day and night. He was always praying. Praying that they would hear the Word of God and apply the Word of God and be established in the Word of God, be strengthened in the Word of God, be exhorted and encouraged by the Word of God, and that they continue to develop this in their life. To continue to develop this in their life. In the back of your outline, very briefly, how to pray for others. Let me have you go to John chapter 14. This thing is making noise, huh? In John chapter 14, this is the night that Jesus was, uh, the night before he was betrayed. During the Lord's Supper, during Seder, Passover meal, he, he comes to them and, he, and he's talking to them. He washes the disciples' feet. After he washes the disciples' feet, this is interesting, by the way. I don't know if you've heard this or not. But he washed all 12 of the disciples' feet, even Judas. And then he told Judas, okay, Judas, now that I have served you, go and do what it is that you're going to do. The other disciples suppose maybe he's supposed to go out and pay for the the meal, the room that we're using, nobody actually got it. You see, most people think that Judas was kind of a shady-looking character. You, you know, they thought maybe that he had his, you know, leather jacket on, you know, collar up, sunglasses. You know, he was kind of shady-looking, had that scruffy beard. You know, he's kind of sh- shifty eyes. He was just one of the guys. This is why they didn't know. What is he talking? Who's, who's gonna, what? Who's going to betray you? Who's going to do that? And after he sends them out, he gives them a new commandment. In chapter 13, verse 31. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, we are going. Where are you going? Is what they said to him. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Jesus establishes this new commandment, which necessarily wasn't a new commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind was the commandment. And love your neighbor as yourself. Now Jesus is saying, I want you to love one another. Love supersedes anything. And now that Judas is gone, I want the 11 of you to love one another. To love, and this this is key. Because we're told to love our enemies. We're told to love people that that, that we don't know. We're told, however, there's, there's a love that only God can give us toward each other. Not saying you're not supposed to love your enemy. Yes, you love them to the point of giving them the good news. Not loving them to be a part of who they are and what they do. You don't commingle that love with, with, the, with the world because otherwise Jesus even said, you know, do not, you should not, um, uh, do not be unequally yoked. Don't be tied up with somebody that doesn't have the same faith, the same values, the same, same standards as you do. Don't do that. You love them to the point of giving them the word of God. And then in chapter 14, he says, Let not, this is the very 
familiar passage to some. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself where I am, where I am you may also be. And you know the way to where I am going. Jesus promised, look, I'm going to go. I'm leaving. Soon as this is over, after the crucifixion, the resurrection, and on the day of ascension, on 40 days from that point, I'm going to rise up and I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. I'm going to come back. Now, a lot of people look at this as the second coming. But Jesus doesn't come back to the earth. Paul tells us that he meets us in midair. We'll see that here in chapter 4 of uh, 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be getting to the rapture and the end times pretty soon that Paul is wanting to teach and share with the people. But Jesus, this, this him going and him coming back refers to the rapture. Let me read that again. And if I go, verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. See, he's going to come and he's going to take us. See, on the second coming in Revelation chapter 19, again, we're going to get into this in the next few weeks. In Revelation 19, he comes down on a white horse with all of us, his army, behind him to establish the millennial kingdom. And that's where he's going to establish here on this earth. But here, he's preparing a place for us for the wedding banquet. He's going to take us to be with him, with the Father, for seven years during the tribulation, and then bring us right back in seven years. And somebody asked him, so, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If he had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do not know him. And so he goes on to this little discourse about the things that he's done. You should know me. You should, you should know what I've done and who I am. And because, you know, you're asking, he goes, have I, have I been with you? And I'm going to verse eight, uh, 9. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the work themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me and will, will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do." Because I am going to the Father, whatever you ask in my name, that this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, what does he say? I will do it. There it is. Jesus said, just ask. It, just as long as I say in Jesus' name. That's the magic formula. Those are the magic words. That's the abracadabra of the prayer. In Jesus' name, give it to me. It's mine. You promised it, Jesus. Well, you know, we, we didn't, most people take that verse. They don't even know what the previous verses said. They don't even realize that Jesus is getting ready to be crucified. That's why Jesus got crucified. So you can get every wish that you want. So that you can get rich, Jesus died on the cross so you can be healthy and wealthy and wise. He took that cross so that you can get whatever you want, even though it's not good for you. 
That's why Jesus died. And people claim it. He said, I believe, and I believe with all my heart. And he says here, if you ask me anything, there's no conditions there. Of course not. Not within that word, that phrase, that verse taken out of context. You got to hear it within the context. And he goes on and he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Well, first of all, are you keeping God's commandments? Well, I can tell you one thing right now, you're not. None of us can keep every one of the commandments. Because once we, thought, once we think that we have taken and, and been able to accomplish every commandment, you know, even if we could, and you break one, Jesus says it's like breaking all of them. Or even if you could keep all the commandments, say, hey, <laughs> I kept all the commandments. Well, you've already sitting there with pride. And Jesus says here, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So in this context, prayer, how do I pray? How do I pray for others? How do I pray that, you know, how do I pray that to get what Jesus says I should be doing? If most people's prayers are something like this, Lord, I pray for my brother that he gets the job that he needs. I pray that he gets the job that he needs so he can sustain his family. Lord, I pray for my sister that is ill, that you help her get well. Lord, I pray for my children that you help them to grow up strong and wise and smart. Most people, when you pray for somebody else, you're praying for things for them. Not necessarily bad things, but you see, the whole purpose of prayer, if we go back to what we just read a little while ago, truly I say to you, this is uh, in verse 12, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Anything you want from God, and you ask in Jesus' name, the whole purpose of it is for God to be glorified. It's for God to be glorified. Now, I'm not saying that a new job wouldn't glorify God, you know, but here's what happens. I've been praying for a job, praying for a job, praying for a job. Finally got a job. Oh, I got to work on Sunday. Sorry. You know, God, you get, I, I have to work. On Sunday, you know, people have been praying for, for, for a job, for a job, and they get a job at the school board, and, and now you're told to lie. You know, God, I have to lie. I have to tell the truth. I, I can't tell the truth. I have to do X, Y, and Z. Because after all, you gave me this job. My whole church was praying for this job. My whole church was praying for my fiance. My whole church was praying for my relationship. My whole church was praying, you know, and, and, we, we, just, and we blame God. We blame the church. How does that glorify God? Very quickly, let me just share with you what Jesus did. How to pray for others. Jesus prayed for successful faith. Jesus prayed for successful faith. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. When I pray for you, I pray that your faith continues and grows. Because of the adversity, because of the things that you're going through, because of the things that you don't have, the things that everyone else is praying for through your health. Jesus had another phrase. That many times we forget. See, because if Jesus is supposed to answer, if God is supposed to answer every prayer that you pray in Jesus' name, there's a magic formula. 
If he answers that, the one that should have had his prayer answered should have been Jesus. You're thinking, what? <laughs> he didn't have his prayer answered? Remember? He was in the garden. And his prayer was, and he was fervently praying. He was praying so hard that his sweat turned into blood. He was trembling. He was just at a point of exhaustion. And he was praying, Father, take this cup from me. Oh, he knew what cup that was. Remember, during Seder, it was the cup of redemption. The cup that's supposed to cause a lot of pain. The suffering servant in Isaiah chapter 53. He knew what was going to happen. Oh, he knew. I mean, it was already prophesied. And he says, Father, take this cup from me. Did God take it away from him? No. We would be lost if he had. If anyone should have had their prayer answered, it should have been Jesus Christ. However, he had this little phrase right at the end of that phrase, right at the end of that sentence, that prayer. What did he say? Not my will. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Lord. God, my, my will is that this cup be taken away from me. But we're not here to do my will. We're here to do your will. So that you can be glorified. You see, God's going to be glorified as he strengthens your faith. And he, your faith is successful through every adversity. People are going to look at you and say, how are you standing? How in God's name are you doing? Because God's name. That's why. Jesus prayed, number two, Jesus, Jesus prayed, don't submit to temptation. I pray for you. I say, Lord, please help them stay away from temptation. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. You want to pray for others? You want to pray for yourself? You want to pray for your children? These are two things you can pray, pray for. Successful faith. That the faith that they have gets them through every trouble. That, the, that, that their temptations are not so overwhelming that they are falling into it. Remember, 2 Corinthians 5.13 says, 1 Corinthians 5.13 says, No temptation is seizure that is common to man, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. Jesus prayed for solid unity. Oh, we need this in churches today. Churches that are so divided. Factions that have risen up. People that say, well, you know, we believe or we think. He prayed for unity. That night, during the Lord's Supper, during the Passover meal, during the prayer, if you want to read the Lord's Prayer, read chapters 16, 17. Read chapter 16, 17 of the Lord's Prayer. Actually, it starts in 17. It's called the High Priestly Prayer. And he's praying. That's the Lord's Prayer. The Our Father, is the, it's a model prayer. Read the Lord's Prayer. And in that prayer he says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given to me. That they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus prayed for sanctification. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus prayed for you to be sanctified. I pray that you be sanctified. Let me explain sanctification. There's a process that you're going through in life. And this process is called sanctification. There's three areas of salvation. Salvation past, 
Salvation present, salvation future. Salvation past is regeneration. You're born again. Salvation present is sanctification. That's called discipleship. The sanctification process where you're being sanctified or made into a saint. You are a saint. You are made, you're being made holy. Now, holy, saint, sanctified does not mean pure, does not mean perfect, does not mean you have no blemishes. Sanctification, being a saint, sanctified, is being set apart. Like God, He's set apart. Like Jesus Christ, He's set apart. This church is set apart. We don't use this facility for nothing else but for worship and for instruction in God's Word. When we came to remodel the building, we, we, we talked about it. And we talked about it for at, at length. Should we go back to pews or should we get some chairs? All the churches are going to chairs. You know, we should use chairs. Chairs are cheaper. As a matter of fact, there was a lot, half, half the cost of reupholstering pews. You know, and it's very versatile. We can take the chairs and we can move them around and we can, you know, have some events in here. We can put tables up if we needed to. I go, but we have a fellowship hall for that. As a matter of fact, we just built an amphitheater for that. Why do we need more space? This place is set apart. It is holy. It is sanctified. Not that there's anything special behind that word as far as, except for the fact that it's set apart for God himself. For instruction. This is why we have pews. We're not going to move these things. This is why if you see any children, especially my children, or grandkids. You know, Sal stopped running around here at this place like two weeks ago. He doesn't do that anymore. Um, but if you see our little kids, stop them. Instruct them. Then kick them out. This place is sanctified. You, Jesus prayed for your sanctification. Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. And what does he say? Your word is truth. So you, you are sanctified, you're set apart, and you're able to operate in this world because of God's truth. Paul, his prayer, he prayed for salvation. In Romans 10:1, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Only God can save a person. Either he's saved or he's not. Either he's a goat or a sheep. And you don't know. And if he's a sheep that's wayward, only God can change him. But you got to share the word with them. You want to pray for other people, your family, your friends, your, 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 you know, the people that you see in church, pray for their salvation. Paul prayed strengthening of believers. He prayed for the strengthening of believers. And I just want to conclude with this part because this is, this is very important. This is basically my, my call, in a sense, from, from me to you. For this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father. That's a euphemism for prayer. I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all fullness of God. I want you to know the breadth, the length, 
the height, the depth. I want you to know the width, the length, the height, the depth. I want you to know everything about God's love and how much he loves you. Some people say, well, I already know God's love. Oh, no, you don't. If you did, you would be sharing it with everybody. We have not yet got to the point where we understand fully God's love. That is our goal. That you come to understand that and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You know, and when Paul is saying this, he says, I want, to, I want this to be done in the innermost part because that's where all the turmoil happens. It starts right there. It starts in your mind. You start thinking things. You start doing things because of what you're thinking. You start acting the, the way you're thinking. It always starts in your mind. If you think you're a loser, you're going to feel like a loser. Guess what? You're going to act like a loser. If you're going to think you're defeated, you're going to feel defeated. Guess what? You're going to act defeated. But if you know that the spirit of God is within you and he's strengthening you from within, you're going to feel like God's power and strength is strengthening you. You're going to know that God's power is strengthening you. Guess what? You're going to act in the same manner. You got to know this love that God has for you. It is immense. How high, how wide, how deep, how long. The love of God is. That is my goal. Let me ask you to stand. You want to pray for others? Pray that they don't fail in their faith. Pray that they don't give in to the temptations. Pray for unity of the believers. Pray that they be set apart in such a way that they're different than the world. Pray for the salvation, by all means, for your children, your grandchildren. Just pray. And pray that the believers are strengthened. For this reason, I bow, my, I bow before the, the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power, through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Father, this is my prayer. And I pray, Lord, that those that have come through here, that they come to understand this, that those that have grasped this and are still trying to grasp the full length and depth and height and width of, of your love, it, it's going to take us a lifetime to understand all that. But Lord, like the Apostle Paul prayed, not only for the people in Ephesus, the people in Thessalonica, not only for the people in Rome, but for everywhere he went, the people that he came in contact with, that committed their life to serving you, he lifted them up in prayer day and night. Help us to be in the same manner, to pray day and night for those that you called and those that you brought in. So we thank you, Father, for your love, your protection. We thank you, Lord, for all that you do as you lead us in all things. And thank you for strengthening our faith today just a little bit more through your word, I pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says amen and amen. All right. Please stick around. We, have, we do have a short meeting next door for our kids' day.